Now, uh, perhaps this sermon series on things that steal my joy is an irony in and of itself. Uh, the reason I say that is uh, a lot of the things that we're talking about uh, are, are negative, and there's a chance that a sermon series about things that steal our joy actually is a series of, of sermons that steals our joy. And I, I want to try to avoid that. And some of the things that we're talking are, are a little bit more negative than others, so I'm going to try to do my best to, to split those up a little bit. Last week was a little negative. We were talking about uh, the how the past uh, steals my joy, specifically um, in, in two ways. And, and really, they were both similar ways. One is, is, a, is looking at the past as... as oh, it was better then, and another is, is looking and, and focusing on the negative things. But really, in a sense, they're both uh, the same in that our mind is drawn to uh, the, the negative side of things. Our, our, uh, we're either wanting what was or, or we're, we're focusing on how bad it was, but, but our mind is drawn to the negative side of things. Uh, we're going to be uh, moving on a little bit from that message. And, and in fact, we're going to be looking at the present, something in the present, uh, or maybe even the future, the way, uh, how we can look at it that, that takes away, uh, this, this, this happiness, uh, that, that God has designed for us. And there's a lot of ways we can develop this thought. We're going to look at one concept, and within this one concept, we're going to look at three variations of this. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, and we are talking about expectations, expectations. Uh, and we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 5. Um, and some of the passages we're reading are going to be longer sections just to get the context of things. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 12. We'll just, I'll, I'm just going to stop when I think I'm kind of at the end of where I, want to, where I want to go here. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, or the words of God. You've come to need milk, not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is just a babe. Solid food belongs to those who are full age, and that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So therefore... Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying against the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of the doctrine of baptisms or laying on of hands or of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. We'll do this if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. I want to say, first of all, um, this is going to, that, that, uh, that this passage is clear that, that expectations are legitimate. There's some heavy expectations in here. And we're going to look at those kind of as we go through. But he says there's, there's sufficient time for you to have mastered some, some concepts and to have moved past them. In fact, not only should they have mastered these ideas, but they should now be teaching them. 
You should know something well enough to pass this on to other people. That's a high expectation to have of people. So, so it's reasonable to expect Christians to advance on to maturity. So, so I'm not going to, to delegitimize. Oh, by the way, for those in the back, uh, I had forgotten to turn my thingy on. It's on now, just so you're aware of that. Too many devices up here. So it's legitimate, but within this passage is kind of one interesting thing here. In chapter 6, and, and he says, we will do this if God permits. He's like, we should, we should, we should, we're going to have to come to you, and we're going to have to move you beyond this. So, so Paul, on one hand, you can kind of even sense a, a change in his tone as you read this. But starting in chapter 5, it kind of seems negative. Can't believe this is where you're still at. You should have mastered these. And then there's this little shift in tone. And we will do this if God permits. In other words, Paul is flexible. There's the ideal of what these people should be. But there's the expectation of what should have gone on. That's within the realm of what God wants. But, but my expectations of other people sometimes can steal my joy if I don't have that flexibility, in other words. I'll say, listen, I might have to come back and, and go back over this again. <laughs> you should be past it, but, but if we have to, we'll come and we'll, we'll, we'll go back over this and get you where you ought to be. If he's not flexible, it's going to ruin his day. If you can't get beyond where people are, and you can only see where they should be, if you can only see the expectation, it's going to take away a lot of joy. I'm, I'm focusing on what isn't. Well, there's a lot of things that Paul can look at where they are, right? They're still a part of the church. They haven't left that. So, so there's a, a group of people there to learn when he gets there. That, that's a good thing. You, you can spend so much time focusing on what isn't that you, you lose your joy in forgetting what is. And so that's the first, the first of our three. We're kind of moving right through this, aren't we? My expectations of others. We're going to read a, a passage that we, we read a couple of weeks ago. I want to go through it from a different perspective, but we, in our um, our topic of uh, we're looking at the little words that mean so much to us in Colossians chapter two beginning in verse 16 and going on down through verse 23. He says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. 
Let no one cheat yourself of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he hasn't seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together in joints and ligaments grows in the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you have died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though you still live in the world, do you subject yourself to its regulations? Do not touch and do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish after they're used, according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, false humility and the neglect of the body, but they are no value against the indulgence of flesh. We talked about how these things rob you and, and, and enslave you and, and the various things that, uh, that happen. Uh, but I want to talk about others' expectations of me. This is the second area where, where we allow things to steal my joy. Now, the first is, okay, sometimes I have expectations and I can get so caught up in my expectations of other people that, that my joy is diminished. But I can allow other people's expectations of me to steal my joy as well. Well, verse 23 says, first of all, these things are unreasonable. They have an appearance of wisdom. They promote self-made religion and asceticism, which was like really harsh treatment physically of yourself, starving myself or going without sleep or whatever things are that, that I'm going to really show God that I'm spiritual. But they actually really have no value spiritually to you. They, they don't make you closer to God, you know, sitting on the top of a you know, some high pole that you put up there and they, people would put a platform and sit up there and I'm really showing God, I'm, I'm, okay. You're showing God you have good balance. That's about all you're doing. And people come up with these inventions and, and, and crazy things. He says, all of these standards that we impose, and, and they have no value, but, but what's worse is we let other people impose these on us. And they're unreasonable because they, they can't produce what the goal says that they're there to produce. And they are unscriptural. He says, if you died with these, you died to get away from these things, and here you find yourself back where you started. You had these philosophies and these ideas when you weren't a Christian. They're not scriptural, and here you are again. You died to them, and, and they're a part of your life again. How, how did you do that? They are human ideas. They are not scriptural ideas when we start allowing people to make the rules for the way I'm going to do things and what things and it always 95% of the time involves things I can't do pay attention to that self-made religion 95% of the time will be things you can't do I just made that number up because that's just like what it felt like when I was growing up. You 
can't look that up online. And that's where your joy gets taken. It steals joy. You notice as we read through this word, through this text, we see words like disqualify and judge and a whole host of negative words. I'm not trying to be negative, but but these are words which have to do with taking something from you, your liberty, whatever it is. I'm going to give you an illustration of this. A church where I was at um, before we moved to Ukraine, just to give you a time frame, the early 2000s, uh, I was talking with one of the elders, and he was talking about an event that I might have occurred before. I mean, I would have probably been like five or six years old at this congregation. But just to give a, a time frame, so that would be, you know, the mid-70s. A girl had become a Christian, just a new Christian, <clears throat> and um, jumped in. Right, it's, it's cool to see that. Just jump right in. Some people go a little slow starters, and that's fine, but, but she just, she was all in. And she jumped right into the children's ministry, and she was down there with the kids and was really invested right away. And, um, one of the items on the list she hadn't read the fine print for Rutland, Vermont. Uh, no jewelry allowed. She hadn't read that in the bylaws, apparently. And, uh, and she had, this elder described it, he said, you needed a magnifying glass to see the gold thread that was around her neck. That's how, how like, little this was. But a woman in the congregation took it upon herself to put this new Christian in her place. And she was out the door and never came back. She had her joy stolen from her over a rule that's not in the Bible. You see what I'm saying? We, we allow other people... To, to set these things, it's almost always something you can't do. And it steals a joy. Well, in this particular case, what I'm about to say probably doesn't apply because she was a new Christian and knows very little about this. But for most of us, we've been around the block a few times. And in Colossians, he says, listen, don't let people do this. It's up to you not to. You have to stop people. Now, I want to look at the other side of things because that's where we talk about most of it is when people have too high expectations of me. But 1 Timothy chapter 4 gives a slightly different picture. 1 Timothy chapter 4 
is when people set low expectations of me. You might think, well, listen, it's a good thing not to have your expectations set too high. It steals your joy. And as we see, yes, that's true. But First Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, he says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and in conduct and in spirit and in love and faith and purity. Until I come, give attention to reading and exhortation to doctrine. And do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in it. By doing this, you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. And we get back to the same idea. It's up to me not to let things happen to me as a Christian. But sometimes, as we see here, people have a low expectation. Well, he's young. What can he do? If I buy into that expectation of me, I'm not going to accomplish. And if I don't accomplish, see, I don't get to experience that joy. That joy of spiritual growth, that joy. I just go along with the expectations. Oh, he's a this, or she's a that. What can they do? Well, you can just coast. And there's not a lot of joy in coasting. Right? No one ever, no one ever made a mixtape for their cool four-cylinder Honda Civic, you know, ride. No, that doesn't exist, right? Oh, this is fun. Hudson around 40 miles an hour on the highway. That doesn't exist. Songs are made about my eight-cylinder engine and right? That's where the joy is. That's where the excitement is. And in faith, it's kind of that same way. That accomplishment, that doing of things, and just coasting is not going to get you any excitement. When we allow people to steal our joy, when we allow low expectations to be the norm. And he says, Timothy, you're going to have to take it upon your shoulders to set high expectations for yourself, because sometimes people aren't going to do it for you. You might have to set a high standard for yourself and show progress. Low expectations allow my inaction. And there's no excitement in inaction. And the last expectation is my own personal expectations. And a lot of these can develop from these other areas. We might transfer to ourselves the things we expect of others, or, or we might allow other people to, to set our expectations. But at some point, we enter into this thing called self-talk. Right? My self-talk. The things... I say, and I want to talk about perfectionism versus perfection. They're similar, they're related. One is good and one is bad. 
I want to go back to Hebrews 6.1. He says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to perfection. That's a kind of high goal. It's kind of unattainable. Right? And yet, it, what you, you said, you got these unrealistic goals, Andrew. And that steals my joy. And, and here Paul says that they have perfection. That, that, that seems kind of like a contradiction to set an, an unattainable goal for yourself. I want you to look at the, the this text. There's a, there's a slight important thing that, that helps us to understand what he's talking about here, though. It's a process. We go on to perfection, or on towards, in the direction of. In other words, it's an ideal. If we understand it, it's scriptural, but... but it's not something I can attain here. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a process. And I think we understand the difference between this and perfectionism. Perfectionism looks at a state of being and says, I'm not this. Therefore, it's inadequate. And that's the difference between, or one of the differences between perfectionism and perfection. So the first thing is, is understanding the, the, the process. Another thing is looking at the standard. Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And this is the standard. And the difference in perfectionism and perfection is where you're getting the ideal from and how you're looking at it. We had a conversation. Liz was over at our house the other night. And um, we had, I don't even remember exactly how it came up, uh, but we had, we had this discussion. And one of the things that, that was spoken, it, wasn't, it didn't come out, it wasn't intended in a negative way. I said, well, Katie's not a typical preacher's wife. That was not intended negative. Right? I don't know if it was te- taken that way. Mm-hmm. Then the question is, what's a typical preacher's wife? Right? Well, I grew up, we had three preachers in our church. They'd all been to Bible colleges. They'd all met their wives in Bible colleges. Now, Katie went to a Bible college. Same, actually, same, the, the same Bible college as two of them, uh, two of those ladies graduated from. And, uh, but when I grew up in the 70s and 80s in New England, preacher's wives, they, they taught the ladies' classes, and they, they, I mean, they were like mini elders for the women and children. And you know what I'm saying? It's just, this is the ideal I had. And it was very scriptural. But I had a particular thing that, I mean, they lectured or they, whatever. They were heavily involved in everything. Well, Liz says, well, that's not at all what I experienced. Like, preacher's wives sometimes didn't come to church, and I mean, she had this different experience, right? But, but here's, the, here's the interesting thing, is that in saying that, in identifying a typical thing, I'm really only identifying a typical thing from my own life. 
That was only true. It was typical in Northborough, Massachusetts, yes. With 100% accuracy. But outside of that, that might not be true. Right? And it, that's fine for that observation. But if that becomes how we develop my standards for myself based on, if, if that became a thing of my expectation for her, or for us, or for here, if I develop this is the way it needs to be because of that, and now we're making problems, right? Now I'm stealing somebody else's joy, but we can do that to our own self based on my observations of things. I eliminate other observations as valid. If I have that narrow view. So, I want to talk about the sources of self-talk. Where do we get these from? And we kind of begin right there with experience. I thought about trying to find a passage that, that illustrates this, but there isn't really any that I could see, short of interjecting opinion. I think there's, if we knew the backstory to every person in, in the Bible, I think we would probably come up with a ton of illustrations. But the simple fact is, is we don't know, we, we have events in the Bible, but the Bible doesn't tell us everything that went into those people who did those things. Right? We don't, I, I think probably, if, if I had to guess, probably Martha's about you know, the, the best textbook case for what I'm talking about. A, a person whose life was obviously affected by some self-talk, but I don't know what those events were. I could theorize all day long. But we internalize things that have happened to us, and it becomes the standard for which I must achieve. I hate being late. I hate, I despise it. I grew up, we didn't have a car, so we had to depend on everybody else for a ride, or we took a bus, or we walked. That's life. That's life until Andrew Green was in high school. Right? That means I was late a lot. Virtually every Sunday saw the Green family running around the corner to the preacher's house to get a ride to church. <clears throat> Making the preacher late. Right? And you could see the family's eyes roll. Here come the greens. And it was typically mine or my brother's fault. It's not my mother's fault. It was us. Right? There's a lot of stories like we could, we could go through. And I hated those looks. I hated the comments that people made when they didn't think I could hear. I grew up and I hate those. So, so I am... I, I have the phrase. I don't know if it's a phrase or I just made it up, but I'm early for early. Right? Like, so, um, I know there's certain things like on a Sunday morning that I have to do. I get here, print off, transfer the PowerPoint, and make sure everything's set, get the 
podium set up and I'm ready for class. Get all my technology, which I can never get correct and all that. So, so we do the best we can. I know that takes a certain block of time. Right? So I know that I need to be here at about 20 till, 25 till to do that and have three minutes to breathe and say hi to people. Well, I know then that I have to leave by about 25 past, and that gives me that. Now, if I left five minutes early, then that, so that'd be 20 past, eight, that would give me like time to consider myself early, subtracting all that. I'm stressed if it's 10 past and I'm not out the door. You see, I would say early for early, or early for early for early. I mean, that's just me. Why? I've developed this standard for myself out of the self-talk, out of the, the experiences that I have for myself. And uh, I'm already feeling the stress because of these standards I have for me. And we can do these spiritually. But we have these, these things of self-talk. And they're hard to identify how far-rooted those are. They go back to my childhood. They become such a part of me. I don't even recognize them. I just feel the stress on a Sunday morning. That's all I, I, I feel. I don't analyze where I, I got this from. It's just me. And we all have these things. It might be things that were ingrained on us in school. You have to do this. You have to do it this way. We adopt them as our own. And they're part of our daily thing that we go through. And they steal our joy. Another source of my self-talk, there's tons of these. I won't spend our entire afternoon going through them. Just one more. Second Corinthians. It's not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. When they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. One of the big sources of self-talk is comparison. Now, here, as you might suggest, probably the majority of the ways that we compare ourselves is to say, I'm better than so-and-so. That's the typical. Again, that's my opinion. Google it, maybe. I don't know. But, um, but he just makes a statement. When you compare, it's foolish. There's no outcome that can really produce a positive. The obvious, if you compare yourself as favorable, that's obvious. That's a problem. But a lot of times we pick an ideal, and, and I don't live up to this ideal. I don't live up to this preacher. I look back at those preachers. I look back at those preachers and I, and I recognize that at that point in life, I'm older than them, than they were then, you know? Like, even in my picture way back then, they were like these aged, wise men. Right? And it's my ideal of them. That's my, it's, it's as absurd as that little church that was huge, you know? My, my, my perspective of reality. I don't know, maybe they were just, maybe they just, Preachers came out the womb, and they were mature back then. I don't know. But I, but I look back at these people who were like in their 30s, and I'm like, they were so mature. I do not feel that way. 
I don't feel like I live up to the standard of those preachers back then. We, we compare ourselves, and we so often come up short. And it hinders me from enjoying what God has made in me and what accomplishments God has performed. I'm not saying that I should go the other route and say, oh, look how many great things I've done. But I'm not free to simply enjoy the Christianity and the relationship with God that I have as long as I'm looking at someone who I'm not. You know what? Maybe they were super mature. Maybe, maybe in the, the 40s, you would just be, by virtue of the life that, that you were born into, you had to grow up fast. That's possible. But so what? God has allowed me to be born when I was, and I'm going to try the hardest I can to be me. And that's very difficult because it's, 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 in, it's ingrained in me as, as the other sources of self-talk, these comparisons. And it has a manifestation. Various ones, and you might find these amusing. You might recognize these. If, if you notice a trend, understand it's because of how I look at the world. You might look at what I'm going to show you and, and not identify with that, but maybe you can relate it to you in your own life in some way. We have words for these. We have soccer moms and hockey dads, right? Ever heard those terms? We've heard those terms. Where do these come from? These come from self-talk. My child has to be involved in everything. They're carting them here and carting them there to everything. They have to do this and that. Oh, and by the way, while we're at it, they have to be the best at all of it. Right, depending on which side of the fence you're on, right, you might emphasize one. It might not be. I don't identify with this. This type of self-talk manifests itself in many ways, whether it's kids or not. I, I need to be involved in this and that. I have to take all the responsibilities on me because this type of person does this type of thing. That's what we do. I have to be the best at everything. I have to get the best grades. I have to... Best, 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 best. Always the best. I have to purchase the best. I can only own the best. I have to be the first person with it. All these self-talk, it comes from somewhere. It comes from somewhere. It doesn't just appear out of nowhere. Here's another one. My house must look like this. Now, I know we have educators here who will swear under oath that they've never seen a school lunch like this. <clears throat> what do you Google? Because I get like a, I do the kids' lunches and figure out what they're going to have so that it won't have PB and J's every day. And this is like every picture when you Google it, like. What, 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 what's something? No one does this. But somewhere, someone thought that, that we need to tell you that this is the ideal school lunch. 
No one does this. This is the before picture, at least, at the, at the, at the very most. If someone attempted this, this is the before picture, because it never arrived like that. And there's people that probably think they're supposed to, I am failing because I don't have time in the morning to produce this. This is silly. But we do this in other ways. We, I have to achieve this. I haven't produced this. I haven't done this. I am falling short of the standard. And at the end of it is the feeling you're losing control. I'm losing control. I'm frustrated all the time. Why? Because of the self-talk. If you are losing control, that's where we conclude. You need to review. You need to go back a bit. You need to back up. Way back up. Ask yourself some questions. No. Take some time. Especially, you could just do it, or maybe it would be hard if you just do it, but, but as, at least when you have these moments where things are out of control, or feeling like they're getting there, or I'm extremely frustrated. Frustration is okay. There's times where it's okay to be frustrated. There's a realistic expectation. It's not been met. Okay. I asked you to clean your room. This is not a difficult problem. Right? We don't just let that slide. But when I'm losing control, when I, I mean I'm losing it, okay, stop and review. Fill in the blank. This is a good way to do this. Whatever the, the, the topic is of the, whatever the, the relationship in which this is occurring, a good parent Fill in the blank. What's the talk? What, what, how does that sentence end? A good husband, a good wife, fill in the blank. How do I fill in that blank? That might tell me where the problem is. Because if it's a, a good wife always has a clean house, that's wrong. A good wife's house always looks like a museum, that's wrong. <laughs> A good parent has perfect kids. Wrong. A good child does this. Whatever. Whatever the expectation, the self-talk that you've... You might have to back up quite a ways to figure out where it started. What are the things in my life that produced this ideal? Was it a, a sermon? When you were a kid, or, or was it someone that was really important to you that you always went over to their house and their house always looked like this, which is a lie? Because they've spent the last eight hours making it look like that before you got there? And within two hours, it'll be completely destroyed? Whatever the thing is. Review. If you're not experiencing joy, it's for one of two reasons, and probably both. 
you are not allowing God to work his process of perfection, complete with his standards. And number two, you've put in place your ideals that undermine and oppose a lasting joy. What you have required of yourself, what you've required of others, what you've allowed others to require of you, any of these areas of expectation, they're going to set the limits for the joy that you can experience. 